Look, I'm a big believer that experience teaches. My goal with this show is to have guests to share their experience so that they can tell you what it's like, what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm going to share the same. Look, I'm not trying to regurgitate stuff you can find on the internet. I'm going to tell you how it really is and what it's really like to own your own place. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with your host, Kyle and Sarah. What's up, guys? Welcome back. Welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. And you already know. It's the number one and fastest growing podcast for independent restaurant owners in the country. If your first time here, welcome. This is a good one. They're always they're all, they're all they're all pretty good, right? Let's be honest. I mean, come, come on, come on. Let's be honest. They're all pretty good. Um, <laughs> uh, but thanks for stopping by. I really appreciate it. And if you're a regular listener, of course, you know, I love you. Welcome back. Um, you know, it's been really great. I think the last episode we talked about the network being uh, up and active. A bunch of you guys have joined. We had a live session there today on marketing, which was really cool. And um, yeah, why don't you guys join it? The link is in the bio. You guys can join there. You can pop in. You can, you know, really just think of it as a resource of restaurant owners who are kind of going through the same shit that you're going through. So you can just really ask away, ask away, DM me, schedule one-on-one. We can chat. Um, The link is in the bio. And also wanted to let you guys know that I've been seeing some more and more TikTok content from you guys out there. You know, I'm a big advocate for that platform. Um, You got to get out there. There's some crazy, crazy shit happening for restaurants that are out there. The opportunity is tremendous. Um, I've seen some brands do some really older brands, even like 100-year-old pizza concepts, doing killer, killer content on the platform. Um, So make sure you're not just brushing this off, kind of like, oh, you know, I don't need to have to do Instagram reels. No, I'm telling you right now, go heavy in. On TikTok, okay? Uh, if you need any help on that, stop by the network. Let's chat about it. Um, you know, this episode is, you know, is with Laura Louise Green. She's the founder of The Healthy Poor. And, you know, let's be honest, right? There's a little bit of drinking goes on in this industry. And we've covered this topic a little bit before, but uh, I think Laura brings a unique perspective to it. And it's it's important, right? It's, you know, just a shift drink. You know, it's just a shift drink until it's a shift drink every day. And then it's, you know, 10 shift drinks. And then it's going out with the crew afterwards and then having to work. So um, substance abuse has been an issue in this industry for a long time. And it's not something to be ignored. Um, obviously, we all know. But you don't have to hear it from me. That's why we got the professionals here. And Laura Louise Green is our guest on this episode. Check it out. Tap the Table is the world's fastest online ordering platform. Sell your food, merch, and event tickets fast and frictionlessly on the most popular social media channels, including Facebook and Instagram. Converting comments into customers is what made Tap the Table famous in the F&B tech space. Tap the Table allows your restaurant to automatically convert the comments you get on social media into cash. Build your list, 
and own your data with tap the table your supercharged social media will automatically begin working for you by building your own list and allowing you to own your own data automatically build that list through direct sales on social media and even through third-party delivery services like uber eats and doordash for a risk-free 60-day trial dm me ttt for a special promo code today i'm gonna keep it real with you guys a lot of you need a new website a lot of you. And by a lot, I mean most of you need a new website, which is why I partnered with Bento Box to help you do just that. They provide uh, a full service setup that brings agency level design online in days at a fraction of the cost. And just because you're a listener of this show, you can also receive 50% off your setup fees by clicking the link in my bio and entering the code FOU6 in the How Did You Hear About Bento Box section. Again, that's code FOU6, Bento Box. Own your presence, own your profits, own your relationships. All right, guys, welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. Today, we are joined by Laura Louise Green from Healthy Poor out in Chicago. Thank you so much. I apologize for the technological mix-up, but uh, here we are. We made it. Oh, good. I'm happy to be here. So I was telling you a little bit about the show before we came on the air here, and um, I think something that I have, I guess almost, I'm almost embarrassed to say, kind of glazed over was this topic of mental health uh, in the industry. Um, but before we dive into, because I know that's your specialty, tell us a little bit about your backstory and where you are now. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, as a young person, I studied music, music and theater and got really, really deep into performance and was rather successful in that area. Um, but it was like a really toxic life, you know, touring with bands and stuff. It's not um, not really, really healthy. And so I, you know, left that life and found myself behind a bar. And it was right. That was 2010. So right at the really big upswing of the craft cocktail. And mm. I found myself in a bar that was working with fresh juices and craft spirits. And, you know, it was it was a side of I had worked in hospitality prior to that, but it was a side of hospitality that I hadn't seen or anticipated experiencing. And I fell in love with it. Um, the problem was that it, like touring in a rock band, <laughs> was mm. not the healthiest of environments. Um, yeah. You know, and so I did some soul searching and I was like, I think as much as I love this and as much as I love the community and this work, um, I think I'm out. And so mm. I went back to school. I stayed working in bars, mind you. I started managing bars, but in, in tandem with that, I went back to school to be a therapist. So um, spent a lot of time in school studying while managing bars. So it was a really cool like parallel process happening that I was seeing my career in hospitality grow and deepen and expand. And at the same time, I'm learning about group dynamics and social psychology and, you know, mental health issues. My substance use class was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you're, 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 you're future patients, so you're like working with them. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, yeah, and, and like for I was experiencing it at the same time, you know. And I, it's funny because looking back, I wasn't actually seeing the connections, but they were still happening. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I was in my internship year that um, someone reached out to me, and I was working as a therapist with people, and someone reached out to me and was like, can I get a quote about alcoholism in the hospitality industry? And I was like, yeah. And they sent me questions and I was like, these are the right questions to be asking, but 
the answers are a little bit too, um, I can't answer these in succinct quotes. Like these are really mm. big, complex topics. And with that, I was like, oh, I think this is what I want to do. I think I yeah. want to work in hospitality. That's so cool. um, it, at that point, that was 2017. So that was prior to Anthony Bourdain's death. And, mm. you know, there was some conversation around it, but not enough of a conversation to really be making a large impact, you know, because people also have to be ready to have conversations that are threatening their identities, for right. example. Um, you know, so I stuck around in hospitality. I started working for a distributor here in the Midwest as the spirit specialist. You know, sometimes I, I need to remind myself and people who I talk to and work with that, like, I do know what's up with spirits. Like that hasn't gone away. <laughs> like that part of me is still here. I still yeah, loves whiskey cool. and mezcal and all that. But um, I did that for a while. Um, and then the pandemic hit and it got to the point that I was like, I am better. I am of better service to doing this work full time, this mental health work full time um, than as a spirit specialist, as much as I loved my job. Right. So I started working on Healthy Poor, which is my company. We're a consultancy. Um, we provide training and resources and education, coaching um, to restaurant and hospitality professionals and drinks professionals, brands, um, you know, to sort of reevaluate the state of things, um, you know, and having a background in mental health and a, like a clinical background in mental health, I kept coming on in my own research and my own pursuit of like continuing education, I kept coming more and more into more organizational psychology. So I'm also right now saying it out loud is always a little like, Ugh, but <laughs> back I'm doing a second master's degree in organizational psychology wow. at the university um, at Birkbeck university in London. So it's really cool to be studying organizational psychology right now in this pan po almost post-pandemic era. Yeah. Really, really, really interesting research coming out. But at the same time, there's also a lot of really cool research coming out about the hospitality industry that wasn't there. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's what I, that's what I do. Ooh, man. So you went, you, you left the, 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 the music life, the touring life. Cause you're like, mm -hmm. oh man, this is way, I'm not, this is not sustainable. And then yeah, it was ruining my life. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, it sounds sexy, right? Like, I mean, you travel, mm -hmm. rock bands, all that stuff. But then you go to a, a restaurant, you're like, this is kind of similar, right? Like, it's oh my like gosh, it was like, it's... yeah, like hopping from one hot pot into another, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which it's is cool. Yeah, you know, it's it interesting cool. to look at. It's like, what <laughs> what is it about these careers? And there's a lot of overlap, overlapping personnel in yeah. music and performance and hospitality and so there is a through line there to a lot of potential for research and discovery and finding why people come to the jobs that they do but isn't it the case like often when you work uh in this field that you kind of have to be a little bit distant from the actual people like you're you were like in it with them and then now you're like okay this is what's going on here. I see it. Or am I, do I have that mixed up? Yeah. So that's a really hard part of my job, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, in, in the last, I would say in the last year, I've had to put up a lot of boundaries, you know, yeah. it's, it is really hard to be part of something that you're studying. And I have a great therapist that I rely on quite a lot. Um, you know, because what it all, it means, it means like I am a part of it and I contribute to it, you know, yeah. um, and it means a lot of personal healing and a lot mm -hmm. of um, self-examination of like, 
you know, because it means it, it inevitably means that I have blind spots in this work. The right. farther away I get from it, the more I see and um, it, it makes it it makes it much easier. But man, when I first started collecting survey research and um, qualitative data in particular, that was that was a really painful time. Well, it's, what do you mean? So when you're like actually trying to get it from people in the industry, like getting actual data from them? Yeah. And reading their and reading their experiences ah, and yeah. taking a step back, like being in it, you know, when you're in the chaos, mm. you don't really see all of it, you know, but when you pull yourself away and look and examine it. um, Yeah, it's it's a little bit it, it was a little jarring yeah. um, and, and very sad in a lot of ways, the situation that people are in um you so mean hospitality folks so so they were like writing stuff and then you were responding or just kind of like gathering the data of what they had to say and you're yeah like, wow, so I, no idea. I so i released a survey um in the beginning and i had it peer or not peer reviewed hopefully it'll be peer reviewed someday when we write about the findings but um uh ethically reviewed for you know human use the whole thing <laughs> and um you know, it was a survey about stress, burnout, and substance use. And then at the very end, I just added, what else do you want us to know? And the stories that people would tell, I was just like not prepared for mm. what people would share in that section. Um, that on. That's hard to like absorb all that and read all that, right? Yeah. Like for you, I, I, with you. Yeah. I like literally called my therapist. I was like, can we start meeting weekly again? <laughs> like, I need this. I need the support. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I So I I was in the restaurant business for 20 years. I owned and operated my own location for 12 years. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of my friends came. So I was in the U.S. Virgin Islands for three years working as a chef for a restaurant group down there. And one of my friends came down and he was like, you guys fucking drink every like every day. And I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, I never. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he was like, dude, this is not OK. Like, yeah. it's cool. He's like that I'm here, but it doesn't seem like this changes when I leave. And I'm like, and I didn't think anything about it. And then ultimately, that's what made me leave. But I think that's what a lot of folks think. Like, yeah, I work in the restaurant. Business. I have a drink at the end of the shift. You know, I work six days a week and then on my day off, I go out and drink. And it just seems to be the way that it is. Right. Like, yeah. That's so that's part of the problem. So I'll tell you when when I was doing my first master's and I was in this um this cap, this, this course about testing and appraisal. So how do you measure, how do you use an assessment to like really um, to measure what's going on? And one of our assignments was to take the simple screening instrument for substance abuse. Mm. Oh boy. So I took it and I scored like off the charts. Okay. Like off the charts. And I brought well, so it what in. What does that consist of? Like what's that? Oh, what the question. Oh, so the questions are like, do you have a drink with lunch? Oh, how right. often, how many drinks do you have a week? You know, it's, um, it's just a, I think a 14, maybe 16 item assessment of just like different questions that you answer. Um, so I come in and I'm like all in a huff and I go to my professor and I'm like, yo, Phil, this <laughs> is not like, this is not good for hospitality because we, you know, we drink more. And he goes, tell me more about that, Laura. And I was like, oh, well, of course I have a drink with lunch. I work for a brand. It's part of the job. And he's like, do you think that you're like an exempt human being from the experience of being a human being? And I was yeah. like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you're saying like It wasn't, it was very eye-opening. <laughs> yeah. That, that, changed, that changed me because I was like, wait a second. Why do we think that we're invincible? 
Why do we think that the rules don't apply to us? Why are we so quick to cut off guests, but we let our industry friends continue mm. to get wasted at the bar and serve them shots beyond blackout? Yeah, it's no, it's normalized, and we use alcohol so often as a currency mm -hmm. um, to communicate love for each other. But we have to remind ourselves that as awesome as it is, and as beautiful as you know, some alcohol is to consume and to consume with food and with with friends and company. It is still poison. <laughs> like at the end of the day, it's still poison. Damn, really? Wow, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love it, though. Don't get me wrong. I love alcohol. <laughs> it's like traveling through time and space every time you take a sip of a spirit or a glass Yeah, of I mean, there's cool. a lot. There, there is a, it's a very romantic, sexy thing, right? And it mm -hmm. particularly, like, in the industry, like, oh, a wine rep comes in. You know, let's taste something. And then, you know, inevitably, let, some, let somebody else taste it. And then... It becomes, you know, the whole staff is buzzed now on the floor. And mm -hmm. I remember, I don't think I ever said, have said this, but I remember having like, it might have been like a whiskey tasting. Because the last one, I, I sold the restaurant, it was probably like 2011. So like the whiskey bourbon thing was just kind of becoming a hot thing. And um, I remember thinking like that night we seemed like super on point. And we were like, we should give them shots of whiskey before every shift. <laughs> like what the fuck am I thinking? Like, but it just seemed like. Oh, this one came out of their shell. This guy seems to be on top yeah. of it. This one's actually smiling. It didn't seem at the time like such a bad idea. And it was so ingrained. And you spend so much time with these people drinking after work. And what's mm -hmm. the big deal? We have one shot. Like we can we can handle it. And then it's like you're like a badge of honor. Like, yeah, I got you know blackout last night, but I'm still here for brunch. Yeah. Like now just yeah. now being an outsider, it's like that's fucking crazy. It's wild. I was um, I was talking with a woman. I'm bringing on two interns, which I'm very excited about. But I was talking with a woman who um, did her master's degree in public health. And she goes, I knew someone who worked in restaurants once. And I was like, well, tell me about it. And he's like, she was like, I've never seen anything like it. And I was like, yeah, that's everyone. Yeah, that's a normal way to operate. And the way that you just described the glorification of like getting blackout and still making it to work. It is a badge of honor for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And then to be like, oh, I was wasted behind the bar and I still made blah, blah, blah amount of money. It's like, yeah. whoa, uh-uh. Yeah. That's and not remember, it. And, you, and I've been I've been in restaurants where, part of restaurants where the line cook maybe is drunk or high or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the owner's like, what am I going to do? We have nobody else to work tonight. We can't send him home. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Could you imagine being like in an office job and then being like, oh, Rick is just. You know, he's just banged up at lines. I mean, I know it happens, but it's so much more prevalent in the restaurant industry, I think. Yeah, I yeah, I would I would definitely agree with it. In 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 school, in the research, they call it a precarious job. <sighs> I have feelings about naturally. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> naturally. I mean, fire I mean it is precarious, but like, yeah, yeah it's um the, the safety of it all. But the, the way I think I think what you're alluding to is the way that we're willing to sacrifice our bodies and mind and well-being for the work and mm -hmm. for the restaurant or whatever that looks like for the yeah. clout that comes with that whatever that's the really concerning bit that needs some attention yeah yeah it's um it's hard it's just so hard right because then it becomes like a peer pressure situation yeah like oh you're not gonna come out for a drink with us or yeah. you know, and i've seen and i've seen it with my own employees mm -hmm. i've seen it turn 
somebody come in and they're you know i've been that person it's like come on yeah come on let's go you You can still make yoga in the morning yeah exactly (laughs) i was gonna go work out tomorrow take the dog for a walk whatever it is but so with with healthy poor how because it's such a it's such a difficult thing right not too many people are like you know what i really need help you know it's not such a front and center thing where do you guys typically come into the process like how are you getting uh, clients i guess to 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 work with because i would imagine it's hard to open yourself up like that and particularly when there's so much ego and with chefs and restaurant owners that are that are part of they're part of this this uh whole situation well, so the way that I approach it is, first of all, with a tremendous amount of compassion. One, because I've been there and I've been in it and I've contributed to it, you know, so um, I'm not coming in like some sort of like holier than thou or even even from the approach that I have it all figured out. Yep. Um, I think what's important to note, though, is that within the hospitality industry and how we function, there's a lot of strength there. And there's a lot that we're doing very, very right. Mm -hmm. And finding ways to build off of that and build and essentially provide professional development to build off of those strengths that are already there. Um, You know, even though I'm a therapist, I made the decision that I don't really want to practice like that. Like I, I don't want to be an in office therapist talking about people's trauma or problems. Um, you know, I did, I did like doing it, but I do like looking more at the macro situation of what's going on. So healthy poor, our intervention point is really in the workplace. So how can we help you to create a workplace, to create a culture, to create an organizational structure that doesn't further harm people? You know, Mm -hmm. I think that it is notable to say that a lot of people are coming to this industry with a tremendous amount of trauma, a lot of baggage, a lot of Mm -hmm. other stuff, But at the same time, it's not the organization's responsibility to address what they're coming in with. What the organization's responsibility is, is to not further harm them or use that incoming trauma as an exploitation point. Mm. Um, So that's where that's where we come in and how we do that. I mean, with these trainings that we just launched, we have the level one certification, which is for all staff and it's six classes that they go through and it's like basics, like what is mental health? What is emotions and coping? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we talk about mental health in the workplace effectively and in a boundaried way? Um, you know, what is psychological safety? Like really, really basic stuff that can just, you know, create a solid foundation, fill in some of the cracks that aren't there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in tandem with that, we have transformational leadership training, which teaches managers and leaders within the organization um, how to approach their work more from a standpoint, like we have this we chef mentality and this like brigade Escoffier thing yep. coming in and saying, how do we foster growth? What does growth look like? What does mentorship look like? What is the difference between being a manager, a leader and a mentor? Mm. Um, what are the ethics around what we do? How do we create a community focused organization within our restaurant? Um, so, you know, really, really cool stuff in that way. But like I said earlier, and I really want to drive home and I want people to think about at length if they can, if they have the capacity, is that the goal is to create a space that doesn't further harm people and that enables people to get whatever help they need outside of the workplace. It's no, it's not the workplace's responsibility to heal stuff that people are coming in with. Right. I mean, if it's caused by them, that's a different thing. Right. Don't make it worse. Yeah. But don't make, don't make it worse. And it's a simple concept that I think we forget. Yeah. Yeah. We've, I've had, I've seen 
I had a guy who was like sneaking nips of vodka in and hiding them. And it was really like this awful experience, but you know, yeah, he turned up when we, when we approached him about it, he denied it. And then we kind of pushed him on it. He was like, my wife's leaving me. It's this whole, the, and it turned this whole thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you, you, you're so focused, at least me as a restaurant owner. And, and I was, you know, so focused on like, you know, get on the floor, like get this done. But then it got to the point where he was like drunk, like it wasn't even yeah. close. And I just felt sad for him. You know, like I just was like, wow, man, this is I cannot imagine being in that space. And I I, I, I agree with you. I think that's and, and that's really my question is, do you see owners who are like, hey, I think I have a couple people here that might need some help. Or is it still like stigmatized to the point where they're like, hey, get this fucking guy out of here. I, I can't do anything with this. And, you know, is it being is it more proactive or reactive? I guess my question is the work, the work that I'm doing, I would say it's definitely proactive. Yeah, so um, I mean, your work is proactive, but I do feel like restaurants are being proactive or reactive to like. Um, oh, I see what I see yeah. what you're asking. Right now, I'm seeing a lot of reactivity mm. for sure, and yeah. it's and I I'll even make a further distinction there that it's reactive and not even responsive, you know, and reacting in that way, you know, and we do that in our just normal nor- normal everyday communication and behavior. It's a reaction instead of a response. It's mm. it's more of an automatic thing rather than. Um, you know, something that we've really thought through and, you know, thoughtfully like embarked upon and engaged in, um, you know, I think restaurants run so stressy anyway, mm-hmm. just by the nature of what it is that happens in a restaurant, um, that react being reactive is, it's a normal and totally understanded, understandable way to respond to stress. Yeah. But, you know, um, taking time to look at a situation and say this person was performing now they're not we have concerns about their well-being how you know what can we do to support them so that they can one stay employed but more importantly on a larger scope so that they can be healthy and sometimes the answer is we can't have them here anymore yeah because that's not that's not going to be good for them and that's not good for everybody around us you know but also then being responsive and taking those steps to be like, this relationship cannot continue, but we want to provide you with some resources because we do want you to be healthy and we do want you to be thriving, but it's, it can't be here. Yeah. I had, um, you know, Michael Chernow, he's a meatball shop. He's kind of gotten the fitness wellness game. Now he owns a concept called Seymour's here in New York city. Um, he told he was on the show a while back and he, tells a story where he was working at a very successful restaurant in New York City, um, Frank restaurant. And the owner had just said to him, he's a good looking guy, like former J. Crew model. And he had, you know, following at the bar. And, you know, part of that being 20 something years of age is drinking with your customers and they loved it and it was great. And then I guess it got out of hand and the owner said, I'm firing you. But you can you can come back, you can earn your way back, but I can't have you like this. I care too much about you you need to go get yep. help. So that, that I think, I mean, that was years ago, years, years, probably in the nineties sometime, but I have to imagine this is more front and center topic. So I would, I, our restaurant owners, do you see any of these groups or hospitality groups just saying like, we want this as part of like our onboarding, like let, let everybody know that this is an option. Like say, yeah. hey, reach out to healthy poor if there's an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. Cool. So I had a um. I'm gonna shout out Middle Child and Middle Child Clubhouse in Philadelphia. They reached out and they 
they were the first ones to really be like, you know, we want to make this part of our incoming, you know, people coming in. We want to make this, they're offering it as a benefit to their staff. Um, you know, and now a bunch, a bunch of restaurants in Philadelphia, they have this available to their staff if, if they want it, you know, and a lot of people are taking advantage of it. Some people I think are slow to take advantage of it because it's, you know, going through a training like this, it does, it does result in some change and change is scary, Uh you know, but I've also been working with the Hyatt lifestyle bars and reaching and working with all of their managers. And now we're making our ways through the different um, individual bartenders and teams and stuff. And, and it's really cool. You know, every time I present on this and every time people go through the training, there's always, um, I I see the connections happening of like, Oh wait, we don't have to behave like this. We can Mm -hmm. still have a great time and do great work. But yeah, I see how that's happening. Interesting. And that's Mm -hmm. where at minimum, I want to get people to, because then they can start innovating and they can say, what are some other options for us? Yeah. How else can we think about this? Yeah. It's that adage that this is the way it's always has been. And this is the way it's going to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, and unfortunately, once you start to harm yourself, I mean, it's good. To, it's great to hear that restaurants are being proactive, particularly now. I mean, yeah. I have to imagine you saw an uptick in, and people reaching out during the pandemic, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that 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 was one thing that seemed to be pretty clear to me. It was like some of these people are not okay to be left by themselves alone. Yeah, you know, I'll be I'll be real though. Um, a lot of people did reach out, and a lot of people still do reach out. But right now, what I'm seeing, and this isn't just me. There's a few, quite a few other organizations that work in the same space that I do in different ways, but the same space. Um, and what we're seeing is still this push of awareness but not as much action as that we that we would like to see it's like you can read a book about mountain climbing but it doesn't mean you got to go you're able to go climb the mountain yeah right like you actually have to start putting these things into practice and that's i mean that's the barrier that's the challenging part but it's once you start making these changes it's it becomes a snowball effect the change just gets easier and easier and you get more accustomed to trying new things and those are all healthy pursuits um so yeah what what we do want to see is more action and honestly at this point if people are willing are even just willing to engage and just learn and then being like we're going to try we're going to try to implement this when we're ready i'm down for that too whatever any little who is it what's his that guy's name james clear does atomic cabinets yep yep he talks about like the ice cube melts at 32 degrees i feel Mm -hmm. like we're at like minus 30 we used to be at minus 60 and now we're at minus 30. We still got a ways to go, but we are still making progress. Yeah. And I'm happy to go up any degree to get that ice cube to melt. Oh, that's great. I mean, that's, I mean, to me, it's got to be the biggest challenge is, is that just, I, I mean, I've had two friends who I've had to go through two completely separate stories. One guy's in rehab, one right after the other. Seems like he goes in, comes out, goes back in, goes in for yeah. years, right? Like he can't just, and he's just like, again, the stigma is like, oh, there's something. He's a bad guy, or he's hooked on heroin, or he drinks a lot, whatever it is. And he just, he's just like sad about it. Like he's like, I can't, I, can't, I just can't do it. Like I can't get, oh, he can't so get sad. it going. Yeah. yeah. And my, and the other one just went, and he's like, I can't do this anymore. He just ripped things out of his life that didn't work. So I've seen them both, mm-hmm. but to me, it just seems that big piece is you have to. It's hard for me to say because my one friend I feel like he wants it. I don't know if he's just BSing me, but. It seems like you really need to. There's so much self awareness that needs to happen around the process. Yeah, and it, and I think that's got to be that's I've seen it be the hardest part. 
Yeah, and it you know, using, how many things they go to. Yeah, using like drinking and like say, let's say substance use as an example, but this is true for really any behavior. It we often treat it as like it's singular thing, like it's an isolated thing. If we just remove this, all of the other stuff will. It's like it's not attached to anything. But the problem is, is that it is ingrained mm. in work, in our relationships, in our everyday patterns. You know, it's ingrained in everything. So if you're trying to change a singular behavior, you can't do that. You can't isolate that behavior. It's it's ingrained in everything. Yeah. All of our relationships, our relationships with our work, our the schedules that we run through our days, the routes that we take home from work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that can be the trouble with rehab sometimes is that we're taking people out of their environment to treat them but then they go back into their environment without Uh, the tools. So that's also, I mean, coming back to what I do with healthy poor, that's why I really focus on the organization because we can treat people individually for sure. But if we're just throwing them back into the environment that triggers all of these different behaviors or they can fall into these behaviors too easily, how are we, how much progress really are we going to make? Yeah. I mean, that's, I've heard that as said, like, you know, you got to fix the well, not the sink. Like absolutely, or like a plant's not going to grow in a closet. You got to move yep. the plant. You don't blame the plant. You put the plant in the sun. <laughs> stupid That's plant. Yeah, what are you doing plant. in here? <laughs> All my dumb plants around here. Um, so you had mentioned that you know, um, being proactive, right? With with some of this stuff, is there something that? Without giving away all your tips and tricks, that restaurant owners can away. do. I don't care what <laughs> that restaurant owners can do to really, you know, make their space, a, I guess, feel safe, right? Like as a place to, to people could come to, but also b, kind of like make it as a, make the actual space a space that's, you no, know, what I, I don't know, like make the culture more, um, so it's not so toxic. Like, what are some, you know, because I've, I've said or I've seen rather groups say. We don't do shift drinks anymore. Mm-hmm. You want to have a drink here? You come in as a customer, whatever the case may be. But I'm not doing where you're sitting at the bar. I'm not bringing any beers to the kitchen. I like I know that. But other than that, is there something that they should be doing? Yeah, I think that creating a system of feedback is really, really important. Um, what it does is creates um, psychological safety. And a really great book to read if you're interested in psychological safety is Amy Edmondson's book, The Fearless Organization. Um really interesting like you can't have psychological safety is essentially a um environment where people can take risks they can bring their whole selves to the work they can completely be themselves and they can provide and receive feedback in a healthy and helpful way um failure can happen without shame and retribution um you know the whole thing of like what death and co talks about alex day says fail fast Mm-hmm. You know, fail, but fail fast and then learn from it. Yeah. Um, and to start really fostering a psychologically safe workplace, um, it means reevaluating how we give and provide feedback um, to that end uh, to kind of like plug some stuff, I guess, at the healthy. If you go to healthypoor.org, there's an area that says resources and then worksheets. There are two worksheets in particular that are really helpful for this. There is a post-shift processing worksheet, and then there's a perfect shift worksheet that people, you, you can hand it out at pre-shift and say, 
all right, everyone, write out what is your perfect shift. And the questions are like, what's holding you back from having a perfect shift? Um, you know, what are things that you need? So it's a really great communication tool of like, one, it gets people thinking like, what do I need to do to have my day go the way that I want it to? Yep. And also communicates to leadership, this is what I don't have to make that happen. These are some of the barriers. Uh -huh. And then the post-shift processing sheet sort of does the same thing of like, what happened today? You know, because what happens is like we, the day, you know, the shift was hell yep. and then you're mad. You close out, you close out your station, you clock out, you GTFO and you go to the bar and you blow off that steam because you have all this stuff and you just want to get out of there and put it somewhere. Yep. But with a post shift processing sheet, you're able to like actually put it somewhere mm. and put it somewhere that's, um, that's actually actionable instead of going to the bar and drinking i mean i'm from chicago so like six malorts and six high lifes and you know complaining to your colleagues that you don't even remember talking about the day the next day anyway yeah you know so creating a culture of feedback is a really great first step to start making changes and it also allows people to use their voice a little bit more and you also like from a management team you can't always see everything that's going on no. And you get a perspective then that you might be missing that might be like a game changer within your space. But yeah, that's, I mean, you know, managers too, right? Like general managers are balancing that line between ownership and staff and they want to kind of be seen as connected to the staff and their, their connection to, you know, furthering their career or just, mm -hmm. you know, being hospitable. But then you have, you know, that time that they sometimes spend with them. So I know that we always used to say like, I don't, managers should not be socializing with the staff in that way mm -hmm. because then it's going to come back to you in a way like, well, you tell me not to show up here hungover. You were at me, you know, you were with me at the bar last night. Yeah. So like, yeah, <laughs> it's God, that's so crazy. So many, like, I mean, if you're dealing with one singular person, it's such a, a challenge, but you really have organizations to your point that are, struggling with this on a day-to-day -day basis so it's it's wild that this this has not been more front and center in the industry than than in the past rather than it is now well and it's it's a it is a humbling step right to oh, say yeah. like oh we don't have these tools you know we're so good like i mentioned earlier we are so good at so much there is so much talent there is so much like wonder and amazing um amazing individuals in this industry and it is hard to be like i'm good at all of these things except for this one piece and this one piece that i'm missing because i'm missing it can be destructive it's yeah. hard to admit that it's hard to feel that you know so you know i get that some pe times people are like oh we don't need that because it's it's mm. those things are scary to embark upon um but I guarantee everyone in this industry would benefit from some further training yeah. from some further education, or at least an introduction to a different perspective. For sure. And it's, it, I know, I think I've either, maybe not the survey that you were mentioning early on about, you know, how many drinks do you have and what that whole thing, mm -hmm. but I've seen it before. And I, I remember stopping like halfway through like this, no, nah, this can't be right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this doesn't it, feel good. And I don't like yeah, this reality yeah, right now. It, so I'm not doing it. Bye. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, and also I think there's a lot of like the person who maybe like you even speak to about, Hey, maybe you need our services here at the restaurant or whatever the case is. 
they may have their own situation that they're kind of like, no, it's fine here. We've always done this here and it's not going to mm-hmm. be, which is scary to think about, like that they're preventing people who possibly could need some help and, and make the restaurant a healthier place. And they're just kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot to tackle. I, I so give I'll give you, credit. I'll give you an example of something that I thought I, I kind of had an epiphany with. Um, I'm, I was sitting in my office. This is my sunroom. And I was looking out across the street and I see this stray cat walking around and the cat obviously has lost half of its tail it's skinny it's dirty and so i go outside with a little tin of cat food and i'm like you're here kitty kitty (laughs) whatever (laughs) and i start chasing this cat down the street and i find it under my neighbor's porch and um i find it under my neighbor's porch and this cat sorry this is gnarly but is eating has caught a squirrel and is eating a dead squirrel and i have this can of can of food and i'm thinking about how this cat is so freaked out to eat this can of food and is going to like keep living in this like dirty under this like mm. under this porch running across the street and all this stuff and meanwhile i have these two spoiled cats in this place just like laying around belly up but both of those cats are totally unaware that the other exists and the conditions that they're living in yeah and i just want to take that little cat and be like there is another way for you and i communicate that to the hospitality industry like there's more to how we've already just because we've always operated this way doesn't mean that there's not other better options for us to be operating within. We just have to find them and we have to be willing to be a little uncomfortable yeah. and be a little scared and, you know, do the work to move forward into that. Take the can yeah. from the crazy lady chasing you down the street. That's me. <laughs> you if you're in Chicago and she's chasing you with a can of food. That's <laughs> You'll be belly up in the sunroom, no time. Yeah, just wait, just wait. It's gonna be great. <laughs> oh man, I mean that doesn't sound so bad. Um, yeah. so just to wrap up here, mm-hmm. what's the best way for somebody who may be feeling like they might need some help to get a hold of you? Um, you can always email me. It's Laura at healthypoor.org. Um, if you also want, you go to the website is healthypoor.org and there are buttons that like book time with me. Um, you know, you can go and check out like the Healthy Poor Institute. I'm also pretty responsive on Instagram too. The Instagram is at healthy.poor. But um not my my other animals meandering uh, around over there. Yeah, um yeah, yeah. the menagerie at my house that is a menagerie. Look, that of, wasn't a cat, it looked like a cat. No, it was a dog. <laughs> He's oh. kind of like a cat. Yeah, that's Marley. <laughs> um, pandemic dog. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Um but yeah, Laura at healthypoor.org is probably the best way to go to reach me. Well, that's awesome. All right. So guys, make sure you um, grab that information. And I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing for the industry. I think it's fantastic. And I think um, it's not easy, right? As we've learned it's, today. So um, it's not easy, but I really do love, love it. it. It's my it's my favorite thing to talk about. It's that matters. I, yeah. I think the potential that this industry has to you know, grow and to become more innovative through this work is profound. And that excites me. Well, look, I don't, so this is a podcast, right? So we have Mm -hmm. uh, sponsors, two of our sponsors for the show are seven shifts and tap the table. Um, I would like to offer you some free advertising on the show (gasps) to um, (sighs) just sort of get your services out there. Uh, I feel like this is something that's needed. And I've been a startup company before I worked for myself before, so I know, not hitting up for money. I want to do this as um, something that <laughs> Thank is. You. Yeah. So um, 
just want to say it on the air so it's official. Um, that you Thank know, yeah, you. Please, please send me over some some uh, verbiage that we can read here and a little logo. Because um, guys, look, this is I I don't care the size of your organization. If you're five people working your restaurant or five hundred working your hospitality group, um, you need to get this on your radar. At least educate yourself about and how you can implement. Um, you know, Laura's services um, across the board for your organization. So um, please do that. And I'll be happy to get it up on the air as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That would be a wonderful help. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much and um, enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye. Hey, bye.